All right. Welcome, everybody, to Talking Elite. Uh, we are doing a pre-recorded podcast for tonight's episode um, due to some circumstances that have came up for me. But it won't be every Thursday. We'll be back hopefully either next Thursday or Friday for Talking Elite Live. Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, tonight, um, Adam and I are going to have probably one of our biggest conversation pieces that we've had, you know, since I think since we became friends. And we talk a lot about breaking kayfabe. Because that's something that a lot of people have questioned, like, would it eventually have been broken like it is now? Or do you think we would still be protected? Adam, what is your thoughts on the whole kayfabe issue going on with today's wrestling? Do you think uh, it's... Well, well um, quick view for some of the listeners for kayfabe. Basically, kayfabe is basically keeping everything in a script, basically keeping it on screen as, as like, kind of like a soap opera. Uh, everything pre-written everything's pre predetermined everything's doing all this um so it's basically it's like a movie you know that's basically kayfabe um kayfabe for me i i think there's blurred lines still in some promotions um because what's going on with kayfabe and pro wrestling now is most of these promotions are using real life situations into a storyline um you know you look uh, I mean, if I could bring one up, I know it's kind of early in the episode, but I mean, you could bring you could bring up the Matt Matt Hardy Lita Edge yeah. story, um, where knowing that Lita was cheating on Matt Hardy with Edge, and they brought that into WWE um, and turned that into storyline. Um, but but it's moments like those that even today, like you kind of see it still. Even in AEW, you see WWE use it sometimes. You you use you could see it in Impact, um, but to me, I, I think kayfabe is somewhat still alive but dead um, at the same time. To me, um, kayfabe is is a blurred line. Basically, is what you're looking at for it. You know, and looking at too, um, do you think wrestlers should be punished? Um, for not keeping kayfabe, just looking back at what happened with Rusev and Lana um, back a few years ago when they were in a storyline. Was it was it Bobby Lashley they were in a storyline with when they got the engaged? fake marriage? Yeah, the fake marriage between Lana. Yeah. Um, I don't. Here's the thing. I don't think so. The problem with most kayfabe stuff, um, it, it it's funny too with. With kayfabe, it's very hard because a lot of companies, uh, you look at a company like AEW, a lot of the things some of the wrestlers say, it is script to script um, as far as what they can say on the mic. But there are times when wrestlers could improvise. You know, there, there's times when wrestlers can go off on their own tangents, you know, and there's no punishment as long as they stick to the same, you know, path that they want that hey, I know I'm going off a tangent, but here's what I'm going to do to you in our match this this weekend, you know? But but to me, I don't think it is grounds to punish anyone for kayfabe nowadays. Um, I think more situational incidences should be, should be punishable. You know, uh, we recently a uh, behind-the-scenes person was fired for domestic. Um, I mean, there's people fired for... Uh, you know, racially charged stuff. Uh, there's people for harassment that get, you know, released. Those are more serious offenses for, you know, punishment, or I wouldn't say punishment, but like 
um, kind of like um, slap on the wrist or whatnot or a release or whatever than k- breaking kayfabe. Kayfabe is just something that entertains the wrestling audiences, a lot of which the audiences really feed into it, um, which I don't know if you're going to ask this question. I might be feeding into your next question, but oh, yeah. we have mentioned the toxicity of the wrestling fans. Yeah. Um, some of them still want to feel that it's it, it kayfabe's there and the storyline is real and this is really going on. It's like at the same time, people like myself, people like maybe Zach um, who grew up on the old school wrestling through, you know, the nineties and the early two thousands. Hell, I even watched some old episodes of eighties professional wrestling. Yes. I, I was born 87, you know, so I caught that tail end of the eighties, but most of the nineties, you know, WCW versus WWF. Um, so I lived through some of the most craziest, you know, moments in professional wrestling, but also some of the craziest kayfabe moments and some of the breaking kayfabe moments in professional wrestling. I've lived through it. So it's like some fans still feel that, that, I mean, I always go back to the one guy who's interviewing and he's crying. He's like, it's still real to me. So it's like, I don't think you need to punish anyone for whether keeping kayfabe or breaking kayfabe. I mean, there are instances then yeah, you should get in trouble for breaking it, but well, not breaking it, but you know, for other offenses, you know what I mean? So I'll, I'll just go as that. You know, I think looking at it too, it's like, I think heels have the easier time to keep it alive. You know, looking at what uh, Max, you know, is doing in AEW and then looking at what Reigns is doing. Uh, I feel like even Brock, I'll throw Brock Lesnar out there. I feel like they're the ones that kind of keep that still alive. Um, where, like I said, it's still real to us. And I think the hard part, now that we know so much about the business, I think that's kind of uh, almost like damaging your like product nowadays because more people are going to sit there, and I'm guilty of this because I'm a wrestling fan and we do a podcast on it, but I feel like we know we know like almost almost every little detail except for like a few things about the wrestling business or we think we know. I feel like it's kind of damaged how a lot of the viewers view wrestling nowadays. And I feel like that's why we've gone from like having four million, you know, in the eighties, the nineties, and it's just steadily declined where you know, WWE is still making, you know, two, you know, two million to 15 million, but I feel like it's still hurt it where it's not where it used to be. No. And I totally agree. I mean, there's, I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether kayfabe is broke or not. Most of these promotions, most of these wrestling promotions are going to thrive no matter what they're going to have their fan base. They're, they're going to have the, the ticket sales. They're going to have the merchandise sales. They're going to have events, you know, sold out. And, you know, despite of what either side of the aisle says, oh, this event's not going to sell out or this event's not going to sell out. Trust me, just be happy that this com- that a company is thriving. Um, I think I mentioned it the other day, I saw someone make a post saying, God, I hope AEW goes out of business. Why? You know, it's the same on the other aisle where someone's like, God, I hope WWE fails and, and, and falters and goes out of... First of all, WWE won't go out of business. They just no. merge. AEW is on the upwards. They're just going to keep making money, 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 and they're 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 selling out events. You know, you look at Forbidden Door just happened, probably a, one of the best pay per views of the year out of professional wrestling. Um, then you got um, all all in happening in Wembley. You know, or is that all out? It's all out, right? 
Yes. That's, yeah. Okay. All out. They're both basically. Happening. That's what's the hard part is they're both like a week within each that's, other. That's that's the thing, you know. <laughs> and so, but but they're both going to strive, you know. And I think as wrestling fans, we just need to enjoy the product and not wish any negativity on any promotion because you're also wishing people out of work. Yeah. And I don't think that's a good thing. That's not a moral thing to no. me. I mean, some of these people have been working in the industry for decades, years, you know, and they've been working. You look at people that have been in it for so long, like like Kenny Omega has been in it for a while. You look at CM Punk's been in it for a while. Uh, you look at Sting. He's been in a while. He's an icon. He's been in many different promotions over his whole career. And then you look at the other aisle in that other promotion, you know, um, John Cena was in it for a long time. And, you know, Edge is still doing his thing over there. Randy Orton, who, you know, is out right now with an injury, but he's been doing it for so long. These, This is their livelihood. And to wish any of these people on both sides of the aisles just to be out of work, that's just – I don't know how people can sleep at night with that kind of thought process. Yeah. I think, as like I said, it's just social media is just toxic to any, any fandom, really. And I feel like that's kind of been – I think a good chunk of why AEW is not as where it was a couple of years ago, but hopefully, like I said, with CM Punk coming back and with Forbidden Door, it feels like we have the momentum in our court again. So I, can, I want us to get above a million again. And shout and with WWE too. Like I may not like their product, but there's a lot of good stuff they've been putting on lately too. So I can't. I personally can't wish ill on a company that has given so many people enjoyment for sports entertainment that wrestling that we love you know depending on what fan base you want to be part of like that's why i said it that way but i think we just got to start enjoying wrestling again i preach it every week on this show on our watch alongs it's 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 crazy to me that people wish ill especially on like the people that are you know not like a wrestler that are doing the backstage help that are driving in the trucks that are that are you know touring the country you know we always forget we always remember the wrestlers we also forget about all the backstage help and the people that are getting that show to us where they're spending more time on the road than the wrestlers at this point. Right. And I agree. And you can even look back at old ECW, old ECW. I mean, it was the wrestlers doing everything. Yeah. Um, they were doing the promotions. They were doing the merchandise. They were doing the hotlines. Uh, Taz ran the wrestling school through ECW, you know, um, yeah, Paul was the main promoter guy. He was the, the head honcho, but most of the wrestlers did a lot of the side businesses just to take that load off of Paul because Paul was doing everything by himself when ECW was going through that, that, that climb in the mid to late nineties. And then all the wrestlers started taking over, you know, Bubba Ray, you know, did a lot of the bookings um, and all that stuff. So it, it comes to now fruition here in the future. Now, now at present time where now you've got the actual backstage people, building the ring um you got the marketing people you got the promotional people you got the merchandise people they're going at it 24 7 you know and and it's it's basically one kilometer i can't even say the word but you know what i mean it's just yeah, yes. one big globe yeah of people just doing everything for no matter which promotion it is you know, and I think that's one thing I think as a wrestling fan, we forget. So, you know, shout out to all the ring crew and everybody that's bringing us the shows each week. Hopefully um, none, of the, none of the companies we mentioned go out of business from Impact to New Japan to AEW to WWE. Uh, we all want them to succeed because if they succeed, us fans succeed. 
I feel like now we're in a huge wrestling renaissance again. So um, let's dive in, shall we? Um, so I did a lot of research the last couple of days trying to figure out, like kind of pinpoint when kayfabe started to fall apart and eventually be very exposed. Um, the first case that I could find was from the 1984-2020 documentary um, with Eddie Mansfield where he showed how to blade and he showed how to do moves in the wrestling ring. Um, could Do you recall a time before that when you kind of started peeking behind the curtain or do you think that was like the main? No, I think that's for, for your, for that research. I think that's the earliest I can think of as well was, was that um, wasn't so much. I don't think it was the biggest break in kayfabe, but it's, it's the, the, the planted seed of broken kayfabe. Because I know one thing that kind of intrigued me at the time was, uh, or at least at the time of researching it, was during that documentary, Vince still, this is before he kind of saying it was sports entertainment. This is like right up the cusp of that, where he was still denying that, hey, like, the, like you know, they're still performing. They're still wrestling. That's still a sport, you know, and he basically denied all the, the accusations of what they were trying to get out of him. So, and that kind of brings me to um, everything that happened then with Dave Schultz. And for those of you guys that haven't watched this, Adam, have you seen the 2020 on this? Do you know about the incident yeah. that we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So watching the video, go watch. It's 12 minutes. It's really interesting to see. But, um, but Dave Schultz, he kept it alive. And he literally slapped the shit out of that reporter he was shown is this fake is this fake and he supposedly what the reporter and the news was saying that he caused ear damage and permanent ear damage because of it um was david schultz wrestling for wwe at the time or was he i i think i don't know if it was wwe i believe it was wccw it might have been wccw at the time i can't remember but I'm trying to remember. I, I remember. I, I can. It was a very famous reporter that did, that he slapped too. It was someone that was that that was very popular at that time. Um, I'd have to research that. Let me see here um, because I do remember that because during that interview, it just it, it shook a lot of people. You know. Um, uh, let's see, Dave. Yeah, because that one. There was a lot of. I can't remember, there was another wrestler in there, and I can't remember what his name was. Um, yeah, no, was, no, I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I forgot to write down his name. I'm sorry, folks. But one of the wrestlers in the documentary, he was saying that he almost had to sleep with a promoter to keep his job. Um, and that kind of – and once he said, hey, I don't want to do it, he got blacklisted um, from professional wrestling. Um, same thing with Schultz. Schultz – he got blacklisted as well. And it's just for things like, unfortunately, the documentary hurt Schultz's career. I think it was already gone downhill from that. It was John Stossel. John Stossel, thank you. Yes. John yes. Stossel. He's John Stossel was a reporter. He was very he was very big. He's and he still is today. But he's a he was a bit he was a big reporter back then covering a lot of things. So because I thought it was funny that he said ahead, that he's sorry. Not, that the most damage that he has ever received by doing one of those interviews came from a fake sport. And I thought that was the, like, it was like, that was what really made me want to wring his neck. But then yeah. again, I, it's like, you're being very disrespectful to our business. No wonder why you got your, the shit slapped out of you. Um, but unfortunately, one thing that's kind of a, a dark note with this documentary too, 
the three wrestlers that it showcased, they all got either fired from their companies or they got blacklisted or were already blacklisted at that time. So that that that's kind of what sucks about the territories back in the 1980s. You know, this really kind of when Vince McMahon was starting to take over the world and be a monopoly, but they were even calling um, Vince's promotion a monopoly and the or just wrestling business in general, they were calling it a monopoly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that uh, that really shook it a little bit. And if you've ever watched the interview with Dave Schultz, um, when he mentions that, you know, he, he has mentioned that he goes, I, I can't, I, I can't think this, I can't make this guy think our business is fake, you know? And, and he said, I, I really wanted to hit him. You know, I didn't like his reporting on it basically. And I guess the other wrestlers that the guy interviewed broke it. You know, the other guys were telling about the behind the scenes of, of, of the professional wrestling, as far as Dave Schultz calling one of the wrestlers out saying he has no business doing that, you know? And, um, so I do, I do think that Dave Schultz, I mean, to his credit, t- took it to heart saying, dude, this is my business. And you coming in and trashing my business, um, I take that as an insult. And I'm going to repay you for it. And here's the receipt. is bam, <laughs> bam, bam. Really hard. So, and I mean, I mean to, to his credit, Dave Schultz put up a defense against professional wrestling. So whether you you like it or not today, it's what it was back then. I'll at least give him credit. You know, he was he was able to take those bumps and those moves. And then I one thing that kind of frustrated me a little bit was in one of the scenes, um, his other reporter, the female, she, I can't remember her name is, but she was like saying, "We're gonna slow it down and just watch how they strike." And I'm like, "You're taking away the magic, Kate." And people that do theater. I learned this in a theater class back in high school, but that napping, like where they're, you know, they're stomping and then kind of showing how they do that on the mat. And it's like, it's cool to watch now, but looking at it back then, if I was a wrestling fan, I'd be furious. Like, I don't Uh know if I would be disbelieving or if I'd be like, okay, that makes sense on my, why I love this and not, Oh my gosh, he's going to kill somebody. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I felt the same way. I'm like, uh, you know, I growing up watching it, I I believed the stories. You know, I believed the the storylines and believed that everybody was just beating everybody up, and then there were the the good guys and the bad guys, the heels and the faces. You know, and you know, and and you know, you talk about the pinpoint of when you feel like that's when kayfabe started showing its face. You know, a breaking. Um. I might be jumping ahead, but we can jump to the 90s because in the 90s is when you start seeing most of the incidents that really break Kate tape. There's um, a few that you're, that you're missing before I get to the 90s. Oh, there okay. Was, By all means, go ahead. Here? If you want to co- if you want to cover those. Oh, you're good. Uh, the first one actually covered in the Iron Sheik video. Yes. Um, with hacks and this is like right it's actually like right up before the 90s hit. 1987 Hacksaw Dim Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Iron Sheik decided to ride to one town. They were not friends, at least from the, the interviews I saw with Duggan afterwards. But they were went to one town together. And Hacksaw liked a little bit of the Huffy Puffy and got pulled over for a DUI for pot. Well, they searched the Sheik as well, and he got popped with lots of cocaine he loved that that snow candy 
So they hurried, got it taken care of, got through the court case, went to the next town, and Duggan called his wife saying, hey, I'm not sure this is going to be a big deal, but we got busted. And then the next day, I'm curious like, who, who leaked it, but the next day it was every newspaper. Everybody knew the story that, hey, a heel and a baby face were in a car together and got busted for drugs. And unfortunately, both men lost their jobs. My money's on the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> but, but I'm saying, like, yeah, no, I remember us talking about that. I actually remember watching the documentary on it. I remember seeing the photos of it um, and reading articles about it when it came out. Um, yeah, no, that was, was huge because nobody's ever thought that a heel and a face would be in a car together, you know, going to a show. They, they never thought of that. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it did break a lot of people's look at pro wrestling and start realize, well, maybe there's something more behind pro wrestling and it's not, and it's not all scripted, you know, um, yeah. or maybe it is all scripted, you know, the, the, it blurred the line, which it still does today. And then the next thing, um, I couldn't get an exact date, but I know it was towards the end of the eighties, but Vince McMahon coming out saying, Hey, wrestling is entertainment. They're putting on a show just to save on taxes from the New York athletic board. I believe that was 89. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. 89. It's so a right. I like, believe it was 1989. Right. Right. As the nineties were coming along. Yep. So I think that was another shift uh, towards um, like peeling back that current even more. Um, and then of course the next big one, unless I'm missing any is the curtain call. Mm-hmm. That's the next, next one. Yep. So Adam, do you want to run down the curtain call for everybody? So, yeah. So, so the, the basic rundown of the curtain call was, uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were heading over to WCW. Um, and they had one more event um, obligated to show up to for WW back when it was WWF. Um, and um, at the end of the night, um, what they refer to as the click, that, that was the name of the click, the group was the click. Basically, it consisted of, you know, uh, um, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, Triple H, Paul, and Sean Waltman, who goes by X-Pac. Pretty much they were the click uh, in, in pro wrestling. Um, what had happened was you had all these four guys who basically two of them were faces, two of them were heels. Um, at the end of the show, it was inside a cage. And it, it, this was like at the end, that, this is like the beginning of digital media. Like someone had a handheld camera or an actual camera. And captured it and it was a picture of all four of them hugging inside the cage um before scott hall and um kevin nash went over to wcw um a lot of stuff happened after that there there was a big um domino effect that happened obviously scott and kevin laughed so nothing happened to them uh sean was basically a made man in WWF at this time, they, could, they couldn't um, do anything to Sean. They couldn't do anything to him. He, they, they did more. They actually rewarded him with the Intercontinental <laughs> Title. Pretty much. Uh, the only one that took the brunt of it was Triple H. Uh, Paul actually got boom kicked down the barrel bottom and had to scrap his way back to earn respect from everybody backstage, including Vince McMahon and all the heads. You know, um, and he did that. Uh, he talks about it all the time. Yeah. Um, he has no regrets over it. Uh, he knows it was stupid, but he has no regrets because those were his friends. Um, but he said he worked his butt off to earn that respect back. 
And with that, he, he worked that way back and he ended up winning King of the Ring, I believe, at one point. Um, that was basically his, his, all right, you've redeemed yourself moment. You, you're King of the Ring, you know? Um, but it was a big, big issue, especially with the start of digital media with cameras and all that stuff. Like it was all over the place and wrestling fans were talking about it for a while. I mean, they still talk about it today. That is true. Um, and then I saw another report that it wasn't Vince McMahon's reasoning for Triple H getting in trouble, but it was for the old time producers and agents that told Vince, Hey, you got to do something about this. Apparently Shawn Michaels went on saying that Vince McMahon actually approved of the curtain call, that he approved them going out there to embrace and calling it good. But it was the old timers that were like, Hey, no, this is, this is not okay. And I believe that was, I want to say one of them was Michael, Michael Hayes might've been one Hayes, of them. I believe Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson. Yes. Uh, it was those two guys that were very upset with it. So, yeah, yeah. um, if you don't mind, I actually have one that I feel like right after that is definitely yeah, the, the kayfabe, um, which I, by now any pro wrestling fan should know about, but it's the Montreal Screwjob. Yep, that was the next one. Um, so the Montreal Screwjob, um, what had happened was Bret Hart um, had a contract with WWF. Um, he felt his steam had ran out. He, he was WWF champion at the time, um, and he felt like, hey, I've reached my peak. I want to try some new stuff unless you can give me a big, big deal. You know, if you can give me a big, big deal, I'll stay. You know, um, he also had issues with Shawn Michaels. Him and Shawn did not get along at all. Um, this was during Shawn Michaels' partying boy time um, and his sunny days habits, um, if anybody gets that reference. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, he did not get along with them. And uh, it was Survivor Series, um, 1997. In and uh, in Canada, Brett's hometown. That's of, the big point right there. Yeah, uh, Canada. in Canada. Um, and they couldn't come to a deal. Um, and Brett basically said, I don't want to drop the title to Sean in Canada. Uh, let me win in Canada. And, you know, I'll drop it to Sean the next night or something. At, at, at Monday Night Raw. Um, and everything seemed good. You know, everything seemed good. They, they were like, yep. Nope, we're good. That that's fine. That's what you want to do. That's what we'll do, you know. But Vince had in his mind like I don't want him. I had he had this thought of he's going to go to WCW and do what Medusa did and drop the title in a in a garbage, you know. Medusa already embarrassed WWF doing that when she went over to WCW. Uh, if nobody knows who Medusa, she also went by Alondra Blaze, um, but she did that with the women's title. Uh, so Vince had that fear. Um, so behind closed doors, um, I believe it, it, the rumors or stories goes, it was Vince, Sean, and Earl Hebner all talked about fixing the ending and basically screwing Brett out of the title. Um, so towards the end of that match, um, Shawn Michaels had put Brett Hart in his own uh, signature uh Submission, the sharpshooter. And Earl Hebner went, oh, what do you say, Brett? What do you say? Hey, it's over. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. And you could see Vince tell Earl, do it, do it, do it from the ringside. And the bell rang. And Brett basically leaned back and didn't know what just happened. Um, and basically was pissed about it. He basically got screwed. 
Uh, if you watch the clip of it, Earl gets out of that ring super quick. Yeah, because Earl had Earl had nothing but respect for Brett, and the way that he had to do that, he literally said in an interview, he said, "I got out of that ring, I got my bags in the back, I got in the cab, and I left." He said because a that's not how I wanted to have that relationship with Brett, but also it was my job. He said it's it's my job or nothing. He said that's basically what it was. I, I had to do it or I was out of a job. You know, it was, and Earl had, had held that on for a long time that he held that guilt. Um, and during that scene, uh, Brett spat on Vince. Um, yeah, and, basic, and basically worded, the spelled out WCW in the air in front of that home crowd. Um, and that's where you really saw in that that Vince McMahon was in charge of everything. That that moment is when the Vince McMahon character came alive and came on screen as an authority figure. That's when Vince McMahon was gone and Mr. McMahon, the figure on TV, was born. And obviously that huge interview came after with Vince saying, I didn't screw Bret Hart. Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. Bret screwed Bret. So, I mean, to me, that's that's a huge, huge moment. And breaking kayfabe as well. So now, um, I know that was also Jim Cornette's last night in the WBF too. Yes, that was, that was like right when Vin, uh, Vince Russo was coming in. So there was a story, and this is what's very interesting. If you go watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode, they actually kind of touch light on this, and I didn't know this, but the whole there was Kevin Nash, not Kevin Nash, yeah, I'm sorry, not Kevin Nash, sorry, Scott Hall. Um, he was talking about the whole, like, that they knew about it, apparently. Apparently, that it was, it was just all the work. Um, and then Cornette comes on and says he might have accidentally gave Vince the idea for the screw job. Because there was, oh. I think it was, was it the 1930s or 40s? It was like early wrestling. Do you remember what era that was that he was talking 40s. about? 40s. It yeah, was the 40s. the 40s. Where there was, there was a screw job in the 1940s, and course Cornette uh, love or, or hate the guy um, he has some of the best wrestling knowledge of anybody mentions there were kind of ideas of how to get the title off Brett and he mentioned a mentioned out of the blue a screw job and he never thought that that would become a reality but the thing is is that maybe you should have told Brett or maybe or, I don't know, or maybe like I said because if you want to keep it authentic don't tell Brett you know, mm -hmm. it's, that's the hard part with their business is you have at that point, you're still under that blurring lines. Is it real or is it staged? Because so to see that and then have that rumor, OK, maybe it was real. So who knows? I think the only people are really going to know is Bret Hart. But the way that Bret Hart still talks about it and just barely made amends with WWE, not even 12, 15 years ago. It was, kinda, yeah, it was 2000 and... I want to say like 2009, 2010 is where he finally kind of kind of reconciled with, I mean, him and Sean reconciled on live TV. Um, and then he had his little feud to WrestleMania against Vince McMahon. Uh, so, yeah, no, he, uh, he's still at it. He, he's still, I think he still is upset about it. But I think he's him being back within WWE and being a Hall of Famer now, and you know showing up 
you know, when they ask him to, I think he's, he kind of let a little bit of it go. Um, and everything like that. It just, yeah, it's just that moment. It just, it, it did resonate with a lot of people, you know, it resonated with me as a young kid. I was like, what just happened? Did Brett just lose like in Canada? And I saw him spin on Vince McMahon. I was like, dude, who did he just spin on? That guy does announcing. Like he was on the announce table. Like that was me. And then it wasn't until I researched it later and talked to all my friends. They're like, yeah, that was real. I was like, kind of does seem real. So. Yeah. That kind of leads almost, was it leads up to the brawl for all. Oh, man. Was that that 98? I want to say it was 98. Let me double check here. Oh, my God. Let's see. I I completely forgot. I wanted to erase all of that from my memory. So It was 1998. Yeah, I wanted to erase all of that from my memory. Oh, and I'm I'm pulling up the the rules now. Um, This was a Vince Russo... A Vince Russo um, creation because he wanted a tough guy. Was it over? Wasn't it over JBL? It was. Yeah, it was. Um, I get. I don't know if he had heat with JBL backstage. Um, him and JBL just didn't get along. Um, but it was. It had to do also circle around Doctor Steve Williams, Doctor Death Steve Williams. So it was something about doing with him. And it was basically created for him to win. So um, it's kind of like the original Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, if nobody understands the original UFC back in the 90s when it first debuted. Basically, if anybody's familiar with uh, the Gracies, which is this huge family of uh, Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu style fighters, um, and their style of fighting has, has never been beaten. It, they, they claim it's one of the best fighting styles. Um, and this guy wanted an idea of doing this ultimate fighting where he brings eight different style fighters together for a tournament and just let them go bracket eight man bracket style. Isn't that and where Ken Shamrock, um... that's where Ken Shamrock got recruited to um, Ken Shamrock got recruited to it. It was um, Ken Shamrock. It was um, Gracie. I keep forgetting which Gracie, but, uh, him and Gracie had a had a big rivalry in UFC in the early days, um, but it was basically built around the Gracies, where they wanted to see if any styles can beat the Gracie. Fast forward to Brawl for All, this was built for Vince Russo saying, "I want to see if anyone can beat the hell out of Steve Williams because Steve Doctor Death Williams is the toughest guy I know." You know, so that's what the Brawl for All was basically built around. I am looking at the rules right now, right? So the rules are pretty similar to a modern UFC fight. Uh, so basically, this, you have three one-minute rounds. Uh, point system, most punches per round, five points. Take down five points, knockout, knockdowns, five out, and then knockout ends the brawl. So it's, looking at it, man, it, I guess on paper, I can see where Vince Russo was trying. But, man, this is just probably one of the worst ideas. Because how many wrestling careers were over because the brawl for all? A lot. A lot. I know. I, I know Bart Gunn, um, the eventual winner of it, um, ended up not being the same. Um, I know he talks about it on Dark Side of the Ring when they talk about it. Um, that he's just never been the same. And for me, this was just the Vince Russo cashing in on the UFC early days phenomenon. He kind of wanted his own thing. So, 
but a lot of a lot of a lot of careers never were the same after that. Yeah, because that such a. Let's see. I don't know. I don't know if you have more on it. Um, um, that's that's what I'm pulling up now. Okay. Okay. Yep. So right now, here is your bracket. Um, of course, uh, Bradshaw versus Brock. You know, Bart Gunn. Um, Bart Gunn won via TKO. Uh, Godfather. That's a. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but Godfather went to the semifinals. Uh, Bart Gunn defeated Steve Williams, and then didn't Bart Gunn go on to face Butterbeam? Uh, yes. So, I mean, yeah, you look at this bracket. Um, Bart Gunn, actually, so this was the first bracket. Um, the first bracket actually was, um, if I'm looking at it right, I don't know which bracket you're looking at, but uh, it ended up the finals being Bradshaw and Bart Gunn. That's and Bart Gunn knocked them out, but I mean, you actually had actual uh, um, and Williams was actually knocked out by Bart Gunn. Like I said, Steve Williams was brought in thinking, "Oh, he's just going to have an easy time," and Bart Gunn says, "Dude, I'm going to give this guy everything I have. Like, I'm not going to look like a pansy in front of the crowd. So I'm going to give him." And he ended up knocking out Steve Williams. Uh, Bart Gunn actually knocked his way to the finals, except for the first round against Bob Holly. He only won by decision. That's crazy, especially someone like Bob, you know, Bob Holly. But you look at but you look at some of the names in this bracket, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, you look at someone like Draws. Draws is in a wheelchair, but that's from his incident with D'Lo Brown. But you know, and then you got someone like Dan Severin who actually was a fighter who actually was an ultimate fighter who actually was heavyweight champion and ultimate fighting during its early days. Do you think, um, kind of since we're on the topic of brawl for all and Vince Russo, do you think Vince Russo was a detriment to the, the comp to basically wrestling or do you think he brought good entertainment over or do you think it's kind of a mixture of, of it's uh, a mixture both of both. I think it's a mixture of both more towards leaning that some of his ideas just didn't strike, which is funny because it's something that right after Brawl for All, I don't know if you have this on your list of K- American kayfabe, but it's the uh, Bash at the Beach. I, you know what? That's one I forgot. So why don't you so, talk? So, ba- so Bash at the Beach, um, it was the WCW Heavyweight Championship between Jeff Jarrett and Hulk Hogan. Uh, there was a lot of heat between Hogan and Russo. Um, and Hogan wanted to be champion. Um, but Jared didn't want to drop the title to him. Obviously, you know, it's Jeff Jarrett. Um, it's different Jeff Jarrett today, but back then it was very ego Jeff Jarrett. Um, but Hogan went and complained to Vince Russo. Um, and Russo did a shoot on Hogan. But Hogan thought it was real. You know, Hogan's like, dude, you don't talk to me like that. You know, um, and and it just kind of blurred the lines between kayfabe. Um, but at the end, um, basically Russo came out during the match and told Jeff to lay down. And Jeff laid down in the middle of the ring. And Hogan looked at Vince and just shook his head. And Vince just said, go. 
go. You want to be champion, pin him. So basically, Jared and Russo try to embarrass Hogan on, on, on pay-per-view. And Hogan covered Jared, got the pin. Russo threw the belt in, and people started throwing cups in. And Hogan got on the mic, and he said, see, this is why this company is going the way it's going, because of BS like this. Hogan got up and said that, because Vince Russo and yeah. him. Isn't that going to be on Dark Side of the Ring this season? I believe so. I believe it is one of the episodes. But it's it so one of the... It's so, it was yeah. just so, it, it just kind of showed Vince Russo's character and what he wanted to bring. Yes, he wanted to bring the entertainment side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, was, was he familiar with a lot of the pro wrestling side of it? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I don't know the guy. You know, I've only seen him in interviews and, you know, yeah. on, on WCW. Most, most crazily when David Arquette won the heavyweight title. Yeah. Um, that might have been the worst decision WCW ever made. Um, a lot of people say that was the reason why the company died. Um, but uh, but the funny part is David Arquette has really redeemed himself from that moment. He actually took pro wrestling seriously. Um, there is a documentary called You Can't Kill David Arquette. <laughs> um, I watched is, it. I loved it. Is that I, where he faced Nick Gage? Huh? Is that where he faced Nick Gage? Yeah, yeah, no, and I loved it because it showed that David Arquette, at his young age back then, knew knew something was off doing that, and he felt like he and he's a big pro wrestling fan. He loves pro wrestling, still does today, and I think he still trains to do it sometimes. But in the documentary, he basically, you know, apologizes for what he did to pro wrestling back then, and he actually goes through some hardships to try to win respect back from wrestling fans and wrestling people alike. You know, he does a backyard wrestling match with people and they beat the <laughs> shit out of them. Like they hit him with chairs. They hit him with like, you, you know, bats and they jump, put them through like a ring. That's so sh- like shanty. And they like slap them like, and he was about to leave, but he came back. He's like, nah, I got to do this. I got to do this. And then another segment, he goes to Mexico and he does Lucha Libre down there. And he does so well. And this is a rarity in Lucha Libre, if anybody understands. You have to earn that Lucha Libre mask. They gave him a mask after the night that he wrestled with them in the ring. Because yeah, he did so well. They, he, they earned his respect. And, he, and he's in great shape. You know? So going back to that with Vince Russo, like, I mean, with Vince, I think he wanted to bring some entertainment. Just he didn't do it in the right way. And he didn't really take an account of what the wrestling fan base wanted. You know, nobody wanted to see, you know, BS ball brawl for all. Like, nobody wants yeah. to see a shoot, a shoot, like, tournament style of boxing and kickboxing and pro mm-hmm. wrestling. That's a different sport. Nobody wants to see a celebrity as a champion. Like, he did it so wrong. But there's a lot of stuff Vince Russo did do right, you know? Um God, I can't think of anything right now because I, I just no. But he did, there was things like with you know looking at the Attitude Era, you know. Yeah, he did a lot of good. Yeah, he did a lot of good stories with the Attitude Era between 1998 and 2002. Like he did some good. He did some good writing then, you know. But then it kind of just faltered, you know. And um, hell, I don't even know if he was there that long with with the the Attitude Era. I think he was there from like 90. 
six ninety seven until ninety nine because then he jumped ships to WCW and then WCW went out of business. Yeah. Um, okay. So looking at Vince Russo, his ideas, right? I just pull up a top ten list. Okay. Um, number ten was his idea with Goldust and Goldust promos, which is great. I freaking love the Goldust stuff. The gold Goldust stuff was fantastic. Um, I thought this would be up towards the front, but the uh, rock heel turn at the uh, at nineteen eighty eight Survivor Series or ninety eight Survivor Series. Sorry. No, no, you're right. It was the night. Yeah, that started um, pushing Sable. You know, he kind of took away from Sunny, but pushing, uh, pushing, you know, but pushing Sable and showing how great of a wrestler she was. Um, let's see. Highlighting everyone was the next one. Just thing with Crash TV. Oh yeah, just having just a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of content on at one time. Very um, Jerry Springer like. Um, number six was him pushing Booker T. So yeah, him wanting new new talent, um, merging TV with magazine which I think that was probably a big deal before the internet or before the internet got took off. Uh, let's see. <laughs> His Val Venus character that he made. Yeah. I forgot about Val Venus. Uh, I, feel like, I, don't know, I feel like Val Venus really had more, he was more of a comedy shtick. I don't really recall any matches with Val Venus. Do you recall any yeah. good matches with him? As far as, as, what Vince Russo was setting up the match? Just, like just a good quality match with uh, Val Venus. I mean, Val Venus was Intercontinental Champion for a while. So, I mean, he had a lot of good title defenses. I, I can't remember a lot of matches. I just know he was the champion for a while. Hmm. And then he ended up joining uh, Right to Censor. Um, anybody remember that? <laughs> that group? Good Lord, it was him. Uh, the Good Father, not the Godfather. The good um, Father, Stephen Richards, not Stevie, Stephen, and and uh, Ivory. Yeah, I forgot about Ivory. Yeah, she. Those were the people that were in in Right to Censor. I think some other people, but you know, another thing I, I think of that we kind of skipped on kayfabe, um, and this was, and and this was um, early Monday Night Wars. You remember a lot of Monday Night Raws were recorded back in the day or on delay. So one night during WCW, people remember this. Tony oh, Schiavone, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Tony Schiavone announced that Mankind had beaten The Rock at Raw. And that kind of – everybody was like, wait, what? Then they switch over. The only problem with that is they tried to put WWF in its place. What happened was people changed the channel to see. Yeah, it, it turned. It, it kind of backfired on them. But yeah, that was kind of like it. That was kind of like breaking kayfabe as well. Did so, Eric Bischoff come out and read the whole script of Monday Night Raw? Or is pretty much. Night Raw yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it kind man, of backfired. Yeah, that was a very weird time for professional wrestling. Um. And then, of course, unfortunately, the last one, um, kind of a buildup we should probably talk about as we start to wind down here, is the um, Chris Benoit tragedy. 
Well, there's actually another one I wanted to squeeze oh, in. Okay, never mind. Um, we can put the Chris Benoit and steroid trial on hold. Okay, go. So the next one uh, that I really enjoyed that actually was kind of breaking the cave babe was uh, Paul Heyman's um, shoot speech at One Night Stand in 2005. Yes, I forgot all about um, that one. He brought up a lot of dirt on all those guys that came from Raw and SmackDown. Um, some of the highlights of that was, yeah, there was a script to it, but Paul's like, screw this. This is ECW, man. I'm going to go off script here a little <laughs> bit because that's what he did back in the day. Um, back in early ECW, if there was an incident, there's a problem, Paul and addressed the audience. Like the night that Sabu didn't show up and decided to wrestle over in Japan, he Paul came out and publicly fired Sabu um, when he didn't show up. So during this pay-per-view, um, it was uh, obviously it was an ECW one night stand pay-per-view. It was the first one in forever. Um, WWE ran an angle where wrestlers from SmackDown, wrestlers from Raw wanted to invade it and pretty much protested because they thought it was bad wrestling. Paul Heyman gets in the ring, um, basically addressed Paul, Eric Bischoff. Because him and Eric Bischoff never got along. Um, yeah. He always accused Eric Bischoff of stealing his talent back in the 90s with his war with Vince. Um, he also went off on Edge um, and said certain things like, Edge, I got two words for you, Matt freaking Hardy. <laughs> um, he also went to JBL because JBL was there as well. And I loved this promo that he shot on JBL. He said, the only reason you were WWF champion for over a year was because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. Yeah. It was the best line I've ever heard. Um, but yeah, no, that moment was also a reignition of, hey, this was Paul Heyman back in the early days of ECW. There was no script, no limits to what you could say in ECW. Everybody was off script. And basically, that's what he did for that most promo. It was sort of approved, but for the most part, he did kind of go off a little bit on a tangent um, and kind of did do a shoot. So, I mean, for that, that that was kind of breaking the kayfabe because then you learned about, hey, later that year, <laughs> Matt Hardy returns. And that that's, goes back to what I said at the beginning of this episode is, a lot of things that happen in real life become a storyline. And that promo by Paul Heyman actually jump-started the whole Matt Hardy edge feud in, in, in WWE because Matt Hardy came back. Yeah. So, I but I did. loved it. It was a great shoot. It was, it was definitely, it was definitely blurred the lines with kayfabe and reality. And Vince McMahon told Paul Heyman to rip him, you know, rip him all the way. What was, what was that phrasing he used? Print money and rip me a my ass open wide or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. It was something along those lines. So, um, but Paul Heyman, that was one of the best Paul Heyman stories I've heard. Oh yeah. So I can't remember it though, but go ahead. We'll, we'll yeah. move along. And then, yeah. So the last big one, I'm, I, I can't believe I forgot the ECW one. I'm sorry. Um, the last big one was the steroid trial 2007. So kind of a little context. Um, the first thing that happened was Vince McMahon was supposed to die off. The Vince McMahon character was supposed to die off on TV when the limo was supposed to explode. Um, but unfortunately, very soon after, Chris Benoit unfortunately had killed his family. 
and killed himself. After looking into things, they realized they studied his brain to realize that he had the brain of an Alzheimer's patient, an almost an 80 year old man. And that kind of came to flourishing with all the steroids and the concussions. So two things happened during for, before the with the steroid trial and the Chris Benoit tragedy is CTE was taken more seriously in professional wrestling, which is great. And then unfortunately the 2007 steroid trial. Um, so that was a crazy time. Um, that was probably one of the probably more darkest moments of professional wrestling. So, yeah, it was, um, the, the trial was in the early nineties. Um, yeah. Okay. So the trial was actually in the early nineties, but it did lead to the whole situation with Chris Benoit. So you're not wrong yeah. on that. Okay. Um, because, because of the use of steroids, because they tried to sweep it under the rug a lot, Hell, not even just WWF, WWE at the time, um, a lot of pro wrestlers were using um, not just steroids, but other drugs. Yeah. Um, you watch any of these Dark Side of the Ring episodes, you, you, they talk about how some of these wrestlers, drugs, you know, pain, they become addicted to painkillers, uh, cocaine. Songs. Heroin, alcohol—they, they, they—you know—they—they they fall addicting to this, and steroids can become a part of that addiction. Um, and the trial was huge. I mean, it—it it basically also broke the relationship between Vince and Hulk, uh, yeah. Hogan for a while Hogan because Hogan Hogan testified against Vince. Um, and Vince, I remember all the videos and photos from that day because, you know, looking back on it, it was when Vince was wearing like the neck brace and he was showing up to court, yeah. but. Yeah, no, all the steroid situation happened, um, but it led up to the whole situation in 2007 with with Chris Benoit, um, which is very tragic, too. Um, and I think a lot have happened to Chris, not only up uh, with that, but also in 2005 when Eddie passed away. Um, him and Eddie were really close friends. Um, they were almost like brothers. Um, I mean, that image of them at the end of WrestleMania 2004 uh, as him as world champion and Eddie as WWF champion, uh, WWE champion, sorry. Um, okay. I mean, it like it tore my heart, um, you know, the day that Eddie passed away. I loved Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero was my, one of my favorite wrestlers, you know, growing up. Uh, and it was way before his Latino heat stuff. It was his WCW and ECW days that I used to love watching. Um, his last match in ECW was him and Dean Malenko. Oh man. And it was one of the best matches I've ever seen on TV. Um, and I remember that because the crowd was chanting, please don't go. That's how much respect those guys had. So I think after the death of Eddie, Chris really hit a wall. Um, and I think his abuse just kept going harder. Um, there might be other factors to it. It might not just have been steroids. I mean, Chris could have been using other drugs. Um, I think they said they just didn't find steroids in them. I think they found other, like, uh, they found like hydrocortone in them and something like that. So I think they found like, I mean, um, I don't know if I can, um, I mean, it might be public records, uh, but I mean, for the most part, most of the time, um, autopsies, um, uh, okay, here we go. Um, uh, he contained 10 times level, uh, normal level of steroids. Um, he also revealed his heart was three times larger. 
Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is public files. So if any, anybody can look up his, his results. Um, but uh, let's see here. Let's see. Uh, obviously, uh, it was it was suicide that he uh, that he did. Uh, let's see. They usually say there's there that there's uh, and they do to toxicity tests on it, but I can't find it. Uh, but yeah, no, they said that his yeah. So with that that you know he had you know 10 times but like i said i scrolled through it i don't know if there's more but there could have been more you know um so yeah no it was a very tragic day in pro wrestling um because you also lost woman uh nancy benoit his wife yeah. and his young son who uh was um on special needs um i didn't realize his son was special needs yeah um his son his son was not special needs um, I don't know if he had autism. Uh, he had something. Um, gotcha. And it sucks because his oldest son right now um, is trying to clear up everything and try to erase that and trying to honor his dad's name in a good way. Uh, it's very hard for him because his last there's name no is way. Benoit. Um, he hasn't even changed his of, name. There's probably not a way he'd ever wrestle. There's not a way, good. you know, and it sucks for him, you know, because you look at it, he's lost his dad. Um, he lost his mom. He lost his his a younger brother. I mean, it's just it's a tragic situation. And after that, it just you know a lot of people just didn't know if you know what was real and what was not anymore. I mean, they knew that death was real. Um, but at the same time, even now we talk about. I know that's the last thing we talk about, but on a on a bigger note, it's certain situations or certain promos in pro wrestling is when you blur the line between, is it real? Is it work? Is it kickfabe? Um, the 2011 pipe bomb CM Punk. Was that scripted or was that all? Yeah. You know, even now the MJF's situation, pipe bomb that he did. Yes. MJF's pipe bomb where he calls, um, Tony a Mark, you know, yes. was that, was that scripted or was that, you know, uh, was that, real um even the situation we'll talk about now this the media scrum um yep. between sam wow. punk and the elite is that a work or did it really happen it, nobody knows you know and i think that's the beauty of pro wrestling is we can talk about situations and say oh that's real or oh that's our work you know but in it, the only people that know are the people involved you know us as yep. fans we just have to take it with grain of salt that's all we can do, you know, looking at it now, it's like, we, I wish we could just sit back and watch wrestling, but I feel like every wrestling media out there is just wanting to show the dirt and the dirt sheets and the rumors. And instead of talking about how great last night, you know, how some of the matches were for Ben Dorr, some of the dream matches, you know, or, or they're getting, you know, they're just getting overshadowed by the toxicity. You know, they're, they're men and women that are putting their lives in line literally for us to enjoy, but, they're so more concerned about giving their opinion and critique instead of just sitting back and watching the show and it's full. And my favorite catchphrase that people say, you know, it's fake, right? I love when I, I love when people say, Oh, you're a wrestling fan. Like, I'm like, yes, I know what I know about wrestling. I'm not watching it 
saying, oh my gosh, like this is like, you know, MJF throwing Chris Jericho off the cage is going to really kill Jericho. So, yeah, no, it's, yeah, we, I, we, as fans, we know it's scripted. We know it's predetermined, you know, and we know that it can change on the fly, you know, but it doesn't change the fact that these are real people and they're still putting their bodies on the line for certain spots in the ring that, I mean, look at someone like Sting. Sting took a, 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 bump from Sammy Guevara last night in the match through a table and stings in his sixties. Like, (laughs) I mean that, yeah, pretty much, but like you, you look at some of the bumps they take and you know, but then you look at it, like it's probably still going on today where certain, you know, wrestlers are becoming addicted to painkillers because they're putting their bodies on the line. You know, but we don't know that because we're not seeing it. You know, they're showing us the 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 fun side of pro wrestling, the fun matches, you know, the storylines, yeah. all that stuff. You know, but you know, when people are like, "Oh, you watch pro wrestling? That's that's kind of weird. Why? It's entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's like you watch you watch soap operas, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's entertainment. You watch James Bond. Real. You watch mm-hmm. James Bond. You watch movies. Yeah, but you watch television shows. Kill a whole bunch of people. And then it's like, and even, and I tell people this all the time and they think I'm crazy when I said, you guys watch reality shows, right? You know, that's scripted, (laughs) right? They're like, what? No, it's called reality. No, it's scripted. It is scripted. There's, there's things in, in the, the papers, the contracts by the producers and actors saying, these are limitations. This is what you can and cannot do on television. That's not reality. That is scripted. That's the same thing as wrestling. It's the same thing as pro wrestling. Just enjoy it regardless. And looking at it too, it's like, I think you kind of got to turn your brain off a little bit sometimes and just enjoy it like you did if you were watching it through like a five to 10 year old eyes. When you first watched that first match and you were so impressed, I feel like that's the art where a lot of people are not watching anymore. Look how many times kids are dressing up as Darby, Orange Cassidy, just, you know, using those as an example, okay? These kids are seeing these guys overcome diversity, come overcome struggles, issues, and it's inspiring them to be better in school and sports and other activities they're doing outside of it. So I think that's something that we as fans forget, is there's still kids out there that are watching it that are just amazed by the struggles that these characters go through. And I'm I'm one of them. I still, I still love a lot of the stories and the struggles that people like, Brian Danielson, when he came back, I was crying when he, when he came back, you know, looking at, you know, when CM Punk, people were getting very emotional, crying edge, same thing with edge. We never thought edge would come back to wrestling. So to see that through a kid's eyes again, those are the instances where we see that as a kid. And I think that's something we need to kind of forget about the botches, forget, forget about the drama, just sit down and just enjoy the product, whether it's WWE, New Japan, AEW, Impact. There's something out there for every wrestling fan or sports entertainment fan. So just sit back and watch it. No, and I totally agree. I think um, I, I think I've made my point enough on this show to yeah. say that Same. wrestling fans are toxic. Um, the wrestling internet community is toxic. All they want to do is say, my product's better than yours and act like children. Why can't we just enjoy the product? Um, doesn't matter what promotion it is. Just enjoy that yeah. companies are thriving. Uh, pro wrestlers have jobs. Um, we're being entertained no matter what we're doing and no matter what we're watching. Um, you know, Impact's got some good matches, you know. Yep. Um, 
Triple A has great matches. If people AAA. watch Triple A wrestling, you know they've been featured on AEW. Um, AEW's got some great matches. WWE, heck, they put on some good matches. I'm not yeah. gonna down. I'm not gonna down that. They put on some good matches. You know, especially recently. You know, there's been a lot of uh, solid matches. I will say that it's funny to say being an AEW fan. But that Bad Bunny Damian Priest street fight in Puerto yeah. Rico was one of the best matches I've ever seen. Not only a pro wrestler, but a celebrity do. Yeah, like, that, I'm like, that's wrong with that. Look at and, him and, and Jake Paul. They're both doing success. And love them or hate them, yeah. Logan Paul it's adapting Logan Paul. to pro wrestling is unbelievable. The guy looks like he's been doing it for years. Yeah. And, yeah. and people give a trash for him. It's like, dude, this the, the, like the guy's not going to be a world champion. But the guy's putting his body out there, and he's working with people. Dude, he had a WrestleMania match with, with Seth Rollins, you know, and, and he's just he's he's doing these yeah. he's doing these spots, you know, and, and it's the same with W or AEW. Like you, you look at some of the people in AEW, you're like, holy cow, that's a good match, you know. You look at every Daniel uh, uh, Brian Danielson match that that's the uh, the Iron Man matches, yeah. Uh, you look at, I mean, heck, even some of Adam Cole's matches in AEW have been great. His match, it, it's so underrated, but his match against Hangman Page uh, were, was phenomenal. You know, um, look at the match you with look MJF. At, you know, just recently, yeah, you look at MJF for as little as that guy wrestles, he still wrestles when he's in the ring and he wrestles. He's good. Yeah. He is good. I don't get why people like he's not even that good. No, he is good. Like, he's a good wrestler when he's in the ring. Which is interesting because Roman Reigns has had almost the same amount or less title defenses in a year that MJF has had, right? But Believe so. Yeah, like they're very close. But I'm like, you're not giving Roman Reigns flack now. Okay? No. MJF has had some of the best storylines with a lot of the individual wrestling. It's not necessarily involved around one group. Bloodline, beautiful story. It's very awesome to see how far the bloodlines come and how it's imploded. And I'm hoping the story has a nice little cherry on top to end it. Uh, but looking at MJF with his, you know, look at these Ricky Stark moments. Look at the match, um, you know, with um, the four pillars. The four pillars match, yes, the story buildup wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. But the match was a huge successful payoff. So MJF is killing it. He's killing it against Brian Danielson. You know, he's like his dog car match with CM Punk, you know. He's literally doing more with less. He's basically the Ric Flair of this generation. You know, look at Rick, you know, it was special when Ric Flair got in the ring. And I think like that's why I'm so drawn to MJF. Yeah, no, I think uh, like I said, um I I've 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 given my grief on yeah. wrestling fans. Uh, I don't know how much more I can. Um it, it just upsets me. It, it really does. Uh, I mean, anybody watching this right now can can tell I'm very passionate about the sport because I grew up with it and I, I hate to say it, but Tony Khan and AEW brought me back to pro wrestling, you know, and, it, yeah. and, and it's sad that I had to say that, but it's because I wasn't liking what WWE was putting out, you know, and now I'm looking at, it, I'm like, okay, well now WWE is kind of bouncing back with some good matches and some good storytelling. Yeah. AEW is giving me good storytelling and good matches. I prefer AEW matches over some of the mm -hmm. WWE matches, but I'm not hating WWE. No. I, I just prefer to watch AEW. I'll watch WWE when I have time. 
Like, yeah. maybe I'll go back, watch some highlights, and see what's going on. Maybe watch some wrestling highlights, uh, match highlights. But, it, again, it just – I think that's another thing with um, with kayfabe, too, is once kayfabe was kind of broken, uh, fans kind of split up into two groups. Um, fans split into um, diehard, this-is-real-life um, fans and – I believe the stories fans Um, and they can't tell the difference between either Um, example. I I see fans online saying, how dare, you know, Jay and Jimmy turn on Roman. He, he made them who they were. And I was like, guys, it's a story. It's a story. They all go backstage after the show and laugh and be like, this is, this is a good show. This is a great story. We're telling like, it's, it's like, that's, that's the people that, still feel kayfabe is there then there are the real people who are like they're like no this is a great story all four men are doing their their job uh, the all four guys they're putting out a great story you know paul Heyman is in there putting his little bit in. it's great it's great storytelling and bringing everybody in so that that's what kayfabe has done and especially younger fans today who still don't know about kayfabe but older people and they're they're parents or their friends older siblings who grew up with the whole breaking kayfabe will tell them what it's about yeah you know i think looking at it now with kayfabe um it really created the wrestling mark where we think we know better than any other wrestling fan yeah and we don't we really don't we just enjoy the product and one thing that bully ray and that's, that's something that me and you both agree on is bully ray says we think we know we think we know Mm-hmm. But for us, if we're not there and take a lot of what they, but Dave Meltzer and everybody else says in the dirt sheets with a grain of salt, because we weren't there. So I think now it's, I think, I think I'm trying to shy away from being a mark and just, I don't know, my Twitter handle says it, but I think now it's time to just focus on being wrestling fans again and just support each other. And, you know, the same thing goes for, you know, anybody listening. If, you know, if you don't like a product, just don't watch it. You know, we, yes, kayfabe has been broken for a while now, but let's just turn our brains off and just enjoy wrestling. I mean, I couldn't say it better myself. Kayfabe, kayfabe died decades ago, but yet here I am still enjoying pro wrestling as ever because it's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. So that is going to do it for tonight's uh, Talking Elite. Um, I want to say thank you for Adam for coming on to do this pre-recording with me. I appreciate it, buddy. You are the best. And I learned a lot today with some moments that you brought up. And I feel like this is one of our best episodes that we've done. I cannot wait for everybody to listen to it. Yeah, no. um, And that's the thing. Um, Obviously, like Lane said, this was a pre-recording. So um, as you're leaving comments, unfortunately, we can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> but please leave the comments and we'll get to them later and maybe we'll touch yeah. base on them on something else. We'll probably but yeah, read leave, them out. Yeah. yeah, we'll read them out. Leave leave comments. We'll go back and we'll we'll pick our our, our yeah. favorite comments from this episode and we'll get back to it and be like, you know, hey, what's a moment in pro wrestling that you think Kayfabe yeah. died? So yeah. So leave your comment down below on um, when you thought kayfabe died or if there was a situation that me and Adam forgot about um, pro wrestling, there's a lot of history to professional wrestling. So I know we can't cover it all, but we're going to do our best darn we can. So um, next week's episode is going to be either on Thursday or Friday. 
Um, it'll be either pre-recorded again, or it's going to be live on Friday. I'm going to talk with the group and um, stay tuned to our social medias for that. Um, next week, we are going to start our very first three-part series on Talking Elite History. And we are going to be discussing the first the first of the trilogy. We're going to be discussing Undertaker. So we are going to be talking Undertaker, his career and life all the way up um, before the streak ended. And then the following, we'll do Brock Lesnar. And then after that, we'll do our thoughts on the streak ending, the history behind it. You know, it's pretty recent, but talk about the history behind it. Talk about the rumors, especially Paul Heyman has a very interesting um, story that he told that kind of got wrestling fans' minds ticking. So we'll be discussing that and if Brock was the right call to defeat Undertaker. So it's going to be a very fun series. Um, it's in the works right now. I'm super excited, especially if you're like us and love the different history videos like we've done like the past few weeks on Talking Elite. Um, and then after that, uh, we'll see where we go from there. We got a list over 100 different ideas to bring to y'all. So uh, stay tuned for Talking Elite and the All Elite Zone podcast. Uh, make sure you guys hit the like button down below. Hit the bell to subscribe and make sure you guys get notifications for us. Um, we do live reactions. If it's your first time uh, listening, we do live reactions every Wednesday and Friday nights. And every once in a while, we'll do it for Collision. Um, we also do podcasts, vlogs, other fun stories that we'll have on there. Um, so check us out also on Spotify.com. Follow us on Twitter at AllEliteZone1. Follow us on Facebook at AllEliteZone. And let us know what you guys thought about tonight's episode. I also, like I said, thanks again, Adam, for coming on. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh no, not really. Just uh, just enjoy the product, guys. Just enjoy pro wrestling. Cannot say it better myself. So that being said, that's Adam. My name is Lane. And we'll see you guys next week for Talking Elite as we discuss the career of The Undertaker. <laughs>